Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors. Yeah! Woo! I love it. Get some! See, now, this is the reason why we work so well together. We're like Bert and Ernie, Walter and Stat... Uh, and Stat, you know, Dang, Stat me off, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Jade was here this morning at church. We got to do that one time, so... Oh, this is wondering why Johnny's in Hades. <laughs> oh, well, we won't know. We can't. <laughs> Probably wondering why he's down here. Uh, this is two guys who happen to be pastors. This is a show, literally, where two guys who happen to be pastors get together and we talk about aspects of ministerial life and all the aspects of in of and out of the pulpit. I am Pastor Matt Heath of Strong Community Chapel. Join with, as always, my trusty co-host, uh, good time friend, and I had something lined up, and I can't remember. I was going to do like Ed McMahon used to do for Karnak, you know. Hey, play me off, Johnny. <laughs> it's going to be one of those episodes, I tell you. Uh, but uh, Should we let them in on the gimmick? Yes, we should. Well, uh, we are now recording our second episode this evening. Um, it's a momentous occasion. It is, yes. This week. Um, next Saturday evening, um, my dear, sweet Lindy Joy that you've heard us talk about is coming to stay with us for a few days and experience the, the greater culture and just pure pleasantness that the Hoosier State offers. So, um, that and snow. Wow, you've, you've really built this thing up, huh? Well, I... It, when you tell people Indiana sucks, it doesn't really make them want to come visit. So. Well, we do need the tax dollars. We do need the revenue. Yeah, I Lord, agree. Lord knows we do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a lot of things Indiana needs, not the least of which is less snow. Well, okay, you you had you were born in Indiana. You had to live in Indiana for a certain amount of time. You're an adult. You can make decisions now. You could leave. Well, I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to answer them honestly. All right, you ready? I'm ready. One, how old am I? You're 30, 37 now? In May, so yeah. essentially 37. Um, how long have I been married? Mm, I'll save you the trouble. 12 10 years. 12 years. 12 years. I couldn't remember. Um, who am I married to? Good point. Let's move on. <laughs> Well, she does have a lot of energy for wanting to move to Michigan, which I've told her, I'll write her. We can stay married, but mm, it's like she can come visit me in my cottage in California. <laughs> I'm not going. I tried to move to California. Yeah. I remember, yeah. I married Lauren, and probably not going to happen. Mm. At least not right now. Eli no. Lilly's in Indianapolis. So. Well, there you go. But this is, I'm kind of excited for next week. Uh, hopefully have a chance to meet this wonderful gal. Heard a lot of great things about her. Hopefully she uh, isn't taken aback by me. But well, it, She's dealt with me for the first 19 years. Of I, don't know, I, don't, I don't think you'll be a big shock to her. Well, hopefully her not. Uh, I, hopefully not. That's my, that's my hope. But I'm excited to, to get a chance to meet her. And, uh, so our, our gimmick tonight the gimmick, is yes. we are recording our second episode in a matter of about four hours. Uh, so not only are we giddy as can be, 
We're also venturing towards Punch Drunk. Yes, We are yes. full of delicious green beans oh, and pork burgers. That, and, oh. <laughs> so. I, I, told, I told Gwen we were having dinner, and I'm like, you know, Lauren, you know, she always fixes us a delicious meal. Uh, and she said, here, we've got this, and we've got uh, sweet potatoes, and then we have these things called cracked green beans. I'm like, okay, well. There's just green beans and bacon, but all right, I'll, I'll play the gimmick. I literally scooped one green bean in with my mashed potato, my sweet potatoes. I literally had to stop eating the mashed potatoes just so I could eat the green beans. They were that delicious. And then she pipes up and says, oh, by the way, there's homemade peach pie, too. I'm like, you're going to have to roll me over to the church because I don't know <laughs> if this is going to work. <laughs> yeah, we... Um... We got carted back over by by our staff. Yes, yeah. Um, But one of my true heroes in not only the wrestling but also podcasting business, Jim Cornette, is employing the Featherbottoms to run his store and his various uh, podcast and internet stuff. So we're going to think of, uh, to name our minions who put us in wheelbarrows and rolled us (laughs) out. Oh man, I. Ugh. That's what it felt like. It, right? it did. I mean, it's. I, we're we are so full. My car was not over here for the first episode, and I drove back. We, yeah, here. that that's the kind of that's the state we're in, folks. So, uh, but we thank you for tuning in, and listening to us. However, you found us: Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, insert Joe Rogan joke here. Um, we take the official position. Here at Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors, that we don't give a flying crap what Joe Rogan says. We are not pro or con. Um, Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan, and frankly, Matt and I share this opinion. As Americans, he can say whatever he wants. Exactly, yes. We're also on Anchor, which is our host site as well. Um, In addition to that, we're also on our Facebook page. Look up Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors. Give us a look. Interact with me, I guess. I'll, I'll take that one on. Uh, let us know where you're listening to. Where you're listening from, I should say. Um, you know, Kind of interact with us a little bit. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. I'll be honest. We don't really care what you don't like. We're going to talk about it anyways. Uh, or if you have a question or anything, feel free to drop us a line. We'll be happy to. Well, you know, this being a pure audio thing, I am the eye candy for the show. So... I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, I did have you sitting on my knee. I mean, I and I when you when that was happening, I felt a magical connection in in that moment. You know, there was I have that effect on people. It was kind of like remember in the office when they're handing out the Dundies, and uh, Pam gets up there and she says, "I feel God in this chilies tonight." <laughs> I felt love in that Pizza Hut that night. Let me tell you. Well, to, to tell you the truth, I'm very hyperbolic on that. You either get, you know, the vapors from being around me, or you get the uncontrolled urge to barf around me, and it's it's always it's, one it's, or the other. It's, it's never really. I've always been on, on the vapors side. I always need a fan. I always got to fan well, myself. As, as a substitute, I I get one of two reactions: Yay, Mr. Davis is here. We get to relax, or B. Oh crap, Mr. Davis is here. All the kids who stink get to relax. <laughs> like there there's been a pretty consistent stream of about three or four kids at every school I've ever been at that can't stand me. I get it. 
It's part of it. Because they are super serial about what they're doing, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Now, there's that's subbing. If I'm aiding or actually teaching a class, you don't work. Absolutely. But if I'm subbing and occasionally on days where we're working on projects and things, I can be relaxed. Yeah. I mean, there's some kids that don't care for that. They want to be serious all the time. I get it. I, have, I own a shirt now, folks, says I'm not for everybody, and I'm not. I agree with that statement. And normally, the people I'm not for don't want to have a good time. You know me. I'm always game. The fiesta. Oh. But we thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Yo soy fiesta. I am the party. That's an old Rob Gronkowski quote. Many years ago. Mm. So, Rob, what do you think of the game in Mexico City? Yo soy fiesta. You are the party? Huh? I am the party. I am the party. Um, but tonight is kind of an episode we've been alluding to really since the beginning. And I think when I texted you this this idea, I was going back. It was the day I was going back through and kind of looking at our numbers and everything. And I, I flipped on our series premiere. I had listened to it since we released it. Um, and it we had talked about, like, maybe we'll do a show about... You know, how we got to this point, how we got in ministry and everything. And, and we've peppered in some stories along the way and all that. But this episode is wholeheartedly dedicated to looking at the meat and potatoes of our ministerial walk. Now, yours is going to be longer than mine. We'll amend it to a point. Well, yeah, but I mean, we have to be true to... We will the, get the full story. Absolutely. Our stories are very unique in their own way. And we're we're excited for that. Um, hopefully you enjoy it. Kind of gives you an idea about how we, you know, how, you know, some kid from Fowlerton, Indiana ended up in ministry and how some, you know, dirt, dumb redneck from Wilkinson, Indiana ended up as a pastor as well. That's not fair. I mean, Fowlerton, Indiana is full of dumb, dirt-neck, redneck hillbillies, I mean... Well, we're we're more... I don't know. We're a different breed down here. You haven't wallered in Fowlerton enough to really comment on that. I really haven't, no. I, I've I, wallered in Hancock County enough to know that we're a little bit more equals than you're giving credit. Well, prob- probably. I, I'm only I'm playing with only half Plus, a deck. Plus, we like to mix in meth. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hang on here. Hang on. You haven't been to the south side of the county that much yet. <laughs> I'm just saying, Fowler is isolated and people know. Mm. So. But uh, this is an episode I'm really excited to do. Let's get into it. Um, Glenn, how... Okay, let's start off at the beginning. You've alluded to it before. How... You said you got your call to ministry at camp. Is that right? Well, we'll start at the top. I'll go, top. I'll go and then you go. Yeah, that's that? fine. So yeah, we'll, we'll do it that way. Here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, get the mic adjusted. So uh, I'll, I'll work through this relatively quickly, but we'll get the whole spiel. So um, born on Saturday in church on Sunday. You've heard that enough. Um, that's, that's a true story. Absolutely. Um, Fowlerton, Indiana, Fowlerton United Methodist Church. And I was instantly adopted by about 17 to 18 grandmothers, uh, many of whom lived to be near 100 years old, some of them over that mark. And um, I was really 
a church kid all the way through. And, and I never really saw myself in a leadership role. I never really saw myself. I just thought it was normal mm-hmm. to be part of that community. And I'm quite a bit older than probably most of the people listening to this show. Uh, so you wouldn't believe this, but that community really was about that church. And everybody in that community went to that church. And, you know, we'd have a third of the town sometimes at our church and another third of the town at the Wesleyan Church and the other third going to Gas City or Marin to the Catholic Church. So, I mean, that was really how that town worked. Mm-hmm. And, I again, I never really saw myself in a position of, like, called to ministry. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, uh, my mother had me entered into a contest on the local PBS station. Oh, my. Where I said the books of the Bible in order. And I got a little mixed up in Paul, but I got very close. And I was little to the point where I've watched that video back. I was little. I don't even know if I was in kindergarten. I might be embellishing that. Wow. And... Everyone was so super impressed, and they gave me a plaque that I've misplaced, and I hate it because I have stuff in my office and in my house that I've had since I was tiny, and I'd lost that, and I hate it. It's probably somewhere in a closet, mm-hmm. and I just haven't found it. Um, but again, never really put myself, it was never brought to my attention that, hey, you could be a pastor. Mm-hmm. No one ever mentioned it to me. So as time went on, I really became a leader in the community. I became a leader in the youth group. I became a leader at school. And um, I, I was growing more and more, but I didn't know it. Growing more and more in my faith, growing more and more in that role in the church to where at 12 years old, I'm leading a youth group that's got a lot of high schoolers in it. But uh, I again, I just thought that was normal. I thought that's what kids did. Um, I was keenly aware my brother wasn't involved, but I was under the impression that my brother was very naughty mm-hmm. and you know, that he was the, he was the aberration mm-hmm. that all this was normal. So when I was in the sixth grade, I became the park school weatherman. Not a big deal. Uh, well, I, no oh, reason oh, to get jealous. Hang on now. And my co-anchor, or I was his co-anchor far more likely. Uh, it was Derek McCormick, who's still a friend of mine. And um, we worked together and did the weather. And I decided that year that that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a weatherman. And as time went on, uh, the great, see, the, this thing about getting old, some of you don't even know. The great Bob Gregory was going to retire from Channel 13. And I thought to myself, that's perfect. I'll go be the new Bob Gregory. <laughs> And I went to storm chasing classes, learned about weather, did 4-H projects on weather that I have scored very highly in. Thought I was far more into rabbits. You don't know that about me. I raised rabbits as a kid. Oh, my. And um, I just thought to myself, well, I'll be a weatherman. And that was compounded by the fact when I got into middle school, I found out I wasn't bad at football. Mm -hmm. I'd never played football. My dad didn't let me play. My brother... Played in the Fairmount Youth League, and he got tackled and piled on late, and he dislocated his shoulder and tore some ligaments in it. And my dad said, Glenn ain't playing in that league, and Kyle ain't going to play in it anymore. So my brother stopped playing football altogether, and he probably would have been better at it than I was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's fast and sharp, and to this day, just chiseled out of marble. Um 
But I found that I was pretty good at it. I've got a quick, I've got a quick first step. Still do. Mm-hmm. After about three steps, my leg gets wonky, so I can't, I can't run. A lot of people know that. And uh, but then I was very explosive, very active, and even after I suffered some serious injuries, because there was intrigue. I ran a four seven one at three hundred and five pounds in the forty. I had a combine thing, and this was in high school, at the uh, Tipton weightlifting thing, and I, it, a lot of people started talking about me, talking to me. I wasn't used to that, <laughs> um, but it started to garner some interest. Even after I was hurt permanently and didn't play my senior year, I still got letters. So I must have been all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still trying. You know, if you get Manchester tried really hard. Well, if you get to feeling better and, you know, we'll look at your x-rays and stuff. And maybe you can come up here and help us somehow. And I was, Whoa. well, you never know. Yeah. Uh, but by my senior year, I was jaded with it. But, uh, so to tell you the story, I didn't enjoy playing football. I, I did it because I was good at it. Um. Maybe if I had gone to a different school, things would have been different. But I don't. Tr- I try not to think about life that way, because if it had been different, it would be different. You know, it's it, it's not worth worrying about. It didn't go that way. Um, my junior year, or actually, it was my sophomore year. I hurt my uh, knee playing basketball, and the doctor told me he's like, "You might want to consider letting this sit for a while." And I was like, "Well, how long is a while?" He's like. I would lay off sports for a while, like yeah. a year or two. And I'm like, well, that's all I got left. He's like, I know, but you're going to live a long time after that, and you're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm smarter than him. So, <laughs> so after two surgeries, I went back out and tried to play football. Uh, we played the Eastbrook Panthers, who you might have heard of because they've been to the state finals three or four of the last you know, ten yeah. years. Uh, haven't won one yet. God we'll bless them, but they're trying. Um, guy, uh, we were getting pummeled. It was like it was already thirty-five to nothing. I think we lost that game like seventy-seven to six or something stupid. They like to run up the score, and um, I got hit in the back on a play uh, where my dear friend Manuel Myers got caught in the backfield, was trying to reverse it, and just I got balled up in the pile, and. Um, Strained basically every muscle, sprained every muscle from my ankle to my knee on my left leg. That compounded the fact that I was already dealing with a problem in my left knee that the doctor had warned me about. And they said it'd probably be better if you don't come back and play this year. I came back and played the sectionals. That was one of our better years. Um, yeah, we played the state champions three years in a row. In our sectional. Um, and played pretty well against Southern Wells, um, who was the state champion that year. In fact, a senior guard on the team said, man, you're a load. I'd hate to deal with you next year. You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of glad to move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, tried to play against Southwood the next year. Uh, but it was becoming pretty clear that I was not getting better. Mm-hmm. Um I was in pain a lot. My knee was clicking all the time. Like, just you could feel it clicking. You could hear it clicking. Um, I was spending large amounts of the off-season in a wheelchair because I was being treated and surgeries. And 
I was trying to figure this out. Like, I was getting really depressed. Well, I want to go to meteorology school, but in order to do that, I'm probably going to need a scholarship of some sort. You know, I was... And when I went to camp in 2002, I, I don't... No one had ever mentioned to me about ministry. It, I, I didn't go expecting it. I hadn't been thinking about it. I was still trying to figure out, well, how am I going to go be a weatherman now if if I can't play football? Why, how am I got to get some scholarships? Right, yeah. So, I remember... It was Wednesday, probably Wednesday night. Usually what Thursday night's the big night where everyone commits to Jesus and then yeah. goes home and forgets about it. <laughs> but uh, I've seen it enough, folks. I know it happens. But um, I was walking I was walking around. Um, the, the, the speaker at that, that year um, had said something along the lines of, I don't want a bunch of people up here recommitting. I want people making new commitments. If you've, if you're thinking about recommitting, I want you to pray for somebody else tonight. Because a big thing at camp is you go up every night for the first time to accept Jesus. So, um, so I said, okay, well that he's talking to me. That Mm -hmm. was for me. So I was going around praying with different people and I turned a corner and I, I was moving from one person. I was going to go pray with someone else. And I stopped. And I heard audibly in, in my ear, Glenn, you're a pastor. And I stopped and looked around. And in an instant, Matt, the whole world changed. Like, it, things might have well been a different color at that point. Like, I was just, what just happened? <laughs> Because I knew that voice was right. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know where to start. All I knew was that was right. Yeah. So I went up to uh, my pastor at the time, Jeff Heron. Shout out. to Mentone. Way up in north right mm-hmm. now. That's where he's at. And um, I said, I'm going to be a pastor. And he kind of looked at me funny and he said, well, when did this come up? I said, about 10 seconds ago. He said, uh, okay. So he called over Frank Beard, who is now a bishop in the United Methodist Church, Rob Neal, who became a mentor of mine. I got all these people came over. And they put oil on my head and acknowledged that every one of them thought the same thing, that I was indeed meant to be a pastor. And I thought, what is going on? <laughs> like... You know, literally three minutes ago, I was trying to get my knee right to play football at mm-hmm. Purdue and trying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. Suddenly everything made sense. Glenn, you're not playing football because you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Glenn, you're, you're having trouble figuring out what school because you haven't got the right career yet. Like everything started to make sense. And I came home that weekend and I was the first person up at the church. My mom and dad have a key. Uh, my dad was head of trustees at the time, and they still have a key. I mean, they live a block away. And the first person to come in was Rita Taylor, one of the women that really helped raise me, not just in faith, but just in general. And I said, good morning, Rita. She said, oh, how are you, darling? And I said, uh, hey, do you know I'm called to be a pastor? And she goes, yeah. You didn't know that? <laughs> so, well, no, not until about three days ago. She goes, Oh, sweetie, if I'd have known that, I would have told you. I figured you just knew. <laughs> and I said, uh, nope. 
no clue. And they announced it at church, and everyone went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit. I'll come back. But um, in fact, in 2010, the person who was pastor at Fallerton when, when I was very, very little, like just been born, um, had come back to serve as an interim because they had had a switchover earlier and they were kind of waiting on me mm-hmm. to get it there and get instilled. And he said, I was there at that service, he said, every one of us knew there was something special about him. I guess now we're finally going to get to see it come to fruition. And I'm like, you, somebody could have told me. Would have saved me a lot of heartache. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, and I guess they just didn't know that I didn't know or they were waiting on God's time. You know, they were very wise people. Mm-hmm. And uh, to go back, uh, my whole life changed. That that next week, I uh, went to my guidance counselor and I said, hey, uh, I'm not thinking meteorology anymore. And he said, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I'm not thinking. I know it's it's going to be ministry. Okay, what kind of ministry? Like pastoral, like as a pastor. And he goes, I've been waiting for you to say that. And I'm like, am I the only one? <laughs> eh, last to know. And uh, we started looking around at schools. And uh, I got aggressive because my friends Brian and Heather were already in California. And I thought, well, I'll go to Azusa. Mm-hmm. California's expensive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I found that out over the years. Uh, and I kind of battered back and forth. And, and I ended up at a school in Missouri that went s- uh, through some leadership and denominational adjustments that summer and decided very quickly after arriving that I didn't want to go there anymore. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in Indiana Wesleyan, just 15 minutes from, oh, from where yeah. I grew up. And um, again, it, w- it was just kind of immediate. Um, everyone in the program upon interviewing me, hearing from me, um, said, yes, absolutely. This, this kid belongs here. It, and it was bizarre, Matt, because, you know, we've talked, well, you and I have talked a lot about, and we even talked about on the previous episode, how things just weirdly kind of fell into place for me at times. And I was, I would not consider myself a strong student in high school. I was in elementary and middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, high school, I struggled with math. It warped my existence. Um, I didn't try hard in a lot of classes. But my last year and a half or so of high school, I got very, very, very good grades. It was just like all of a sudden I was on the right path. And I walked into Indiana Wesleyan, and they did placement tests where you take a little, like, test to find out where they should place you as far as what classes. They don't want to waste your time or theirs. Yeah. Um, and I took the English test, and I got the 99th percentile. I took one English class in, co- in college. Whoa. That's, yeah. Just kind of fell into place. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I took uh, six credit hours of Bible classes which was strictly forbidden on an unwritten rule basis. And my advisor, Elaine Bernius, tried hard to talk me out of it. And every teacher I had the first day said, Hey, Glenn Davis. I said, Yes, nice nice to meet you. I said, You're the crazy person. <laughs> I said, Yes, I believe I've earned that. 
Always. Don't want to brag. Um, but I went from a 2.86 GPA in high school is my point. And, I, and I'm, this is a God thing. I'm not bragging on myself. Mm-hmm. Went, to, went to ministry school, started learning Biblet, started learning languages, started learning practical ministry. I graduated Indiana Wesleyan magna cum laude. Wow. Which is the second highest honors you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated seminary uh, cum laude, we'll say. They didn't hand out awards like that. Um, graduated teaching school summa, hmm. if you're interested, which is highest honors. Yeah. Um, but I during that time at Indiana Wesleyan, I got appointed to my first church, which was... Um, Mount Carmel United Methodist Church in Harvard City, which was terribly ironic because I knew where Mount Carmel was. I had been to Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. which is in the northern part of Israel. It's where Elijah killed all those wonderful people from uh, Baal worship. Oh, fine. If you're interested, rain down fire from heaven by Mount Carmel. Um, ironically, none of them knew why it was called Mount Carmel, which mm-hmm. I still think is funny. <laughs> but... Um, Started getting into the ordination process. Had a couple people take me under their wing. Um, in the Methodist Church, if you don't know, there's a very, very long and tedious process to get ordained. Much longer than a lot of other denominations. Some of you may have even been in churches where someone stands up and says, I feel called to ministry, and the next day they're ordained. There are denominations that do it yeah. that way. Um, mine was an eight-year process. Four years in Dean Wesley and three years at United Theological Seminary. And um, then another year of working through the process. And I was approved for ordination. Uh, There were a lot of people along the way who said, where are you at in the track? You know, they could just figure it out. Um, And I was approved for ordination. June of 2012. They were going to have me walk out in front of everyone. And they were going to say nice things about me and approve me. And I married a beautiful gal from Fairmount who was a scientist. The day I w- my appointment in ordination was announced, which was a new church I was going to, a bigger church, much bigger church, Lauren got word that she was being promoted in Covance. <clears throat> and it was basically at that point my career hers, mm-hmm. which is not a good place to be in, in a marriage <laughs> relationship. Um, <clears throat> I called Frank Beard, who was my district superintendent by that point, who was there that night when I was called, and I explained the situation to him, and he said, well, you can certainly be a local pastor, like, this is not an all or nothing thing. Yeah. I'll have you talk to Bishop Mike, and you can talk to him and let see what he says. Now, at this point, I am... 24, 25 years old. I'm brand new to this. I've fought for eight years and a whole bunch of bull that I'm not going to mention here to get to that point. And now I have to tell the person who's holding their my destiny in their hands that I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, and I know there were some people who were iffy on him, some who outright didn't care for him, because he worked a lot of middle ground in this Methodist problem that we've had for the last 30, 40 years. 
And um, if you haven't heard in the news, we're splitting up over the LGBTQ questions, issues. Um, Bishop Mike took a very middle ground on that. But he said, I think you will be a tremendous local pastor. I think you would be an asset to that group of people. And I absolutely will approve that and we'll take care of you. And he always did. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> my call to ministry was, I'm not going to say easy, but it was right. Right. And <clears throat> I'm grateful for that. And I know there are reasons that things have happened the way they've happened. Um, but I was, because I was going to be a weatherman, then I was going to be a minister. I didn't even know what ordination was. Then I'm going to be an ordained minister. And you know what I became? A minister. Yeah. Well, didn't need it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've landed was I did not need the approval of men and women to do what God had told me to do. So I never worried about it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, to the credit of the United Methodist Church, at this point in 2022, you know, I started this journey 2002. This is 20 years this year. I got my call in July. I am on the District Committee on Ministry. I am a mentor to candidates who are going before the Board of Ordained Ministry. And I'm not ordained. Because, and I said this at my ordination meeting, because you're never prepared. But at my ordination meeting, I finally sat myself, because that takes them like seven hours to Mm -hmm. deliberate, and you just have to sit there and wait. I finally came to peace with it when I decided... If God wants me to do it, it'll get done. And that guy come out smiling and said, congratulations. And I, I said, shut up. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But then again, I could because God wanted me to do it. That's the way it was going to be. Absolutely, yeah. And I wondered for a few years how I would ever come back from that, how I would ever explain it to people to further myself. Um, was semi-convinced I was going to move into education. Turns out it seemed like I was meant to do both of these things, mm-hmm. which might be part of the not being ordained deal. Mm-hmm. And I, I was talking to Megan Wallace about it the other day that I don't need a resume anymore. Like that's how far along in the Methodist Church I am. And it happened in a way that only God could have done. So that's kind of my story, my call to ministry. Um, it has not been all rainbows and unicorns. Ministry is hard. That's, oh, yeah. But, um, and I warned you as to such. You have, yes. And but I believe if God ordains it, it will be so. Mm-hmm. And that is that principle, even in dark times, has never failed. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't believe yours is shorter, or I think yours is far more interesting than mine. Mine if is a curious. little longer, yeah. So, so I, I was sitting here thinking, you know what? Yeah, he's got 20 years in against my, it'll be two. Um, but, yeah, I guess mine is. But you, you've walked 
the cliff and even jumped off and caught a branch a time or two. Yeah, so, just, a, just a little. Um, the turmoil that I faced is not appropriate for this particular topic. Um, you will face challenges, particularly when there are good things on the horizon. A lot of people misunderstand this. When you feel the most attacked, when you feel the most hurt or the most vulnerable, it is in those moments that you should dig deep and run your hardest because the devil's trying to keep you from something. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned. I faced some hard times in the two or three years before I came to Willow Branch. And I looked back at it and I'm like, he didn't win. He came close. He had me on the ropes, but the devil didn't win. He didn't win that round. Mm -hmm. And he tried. <laughs> he punched me low. He punched me in the back of the head. He kidney punched me. He need me. <laughs> but, you know, if God wants it done, he'll get done. Absolutely. So let's hear from the great pastor of Strong Community Chapel, complete with the upcoming T-shirts. Oh yes, it's okay. and and glasses and all sorts of things. We're I'll tell you what we're we're embracing this idea of trying to build like a guest services kind of deal and try and you know you know try and build something like that and it, and it's not necessarily as a way of enticing things. It's literally a way for it's literally us laying groundwork for something. That is, it's showing that we're trying to make an effort to try to make that change, to lay that foundation so that when it does come, and it's, again, it's all in God's timing. It's like anything. It's all, it all has to be in God's timing. When it does come, we're not sitting there, you know, we're not in fourth place or, you know, at starting line. We're ready to go straight off the bat, you know. Well, it's enticing. There's nothing wrong with enticing. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about this earlier, and it's been a principle that's been true here. Um, the then Kirk Runyon, now Cheney Runyon. Um, that's again, that's another tale for another day on the podcast. But um, when they were attending here. The big thing with them was breakfast because we serve, we didn't just have donuts. We straight served breakfast here at this church and it was bananas I'm how sure. good it was. And we need to get back to doing that. I'm going to make an announcement after Easter. Euchre parties and breakfast are going to start happening again. Yeah, we play Euchre here. What of it? Uh, <laughs> it's the only card game that's fit to play in church. In church, I should say. We don't gamble. We just have a buffet. Um, well, you're gambling with your diet on that deal. Yeah, you are. Well, we're just we're setting the pot for the we're hedging the bet there. Um, but the big thing there was they said we need to put on the sign that we're having breakfast because it's amazing, mm -hmm. and we should sell ourselves on that. You know, Jesus fed people bread and fish and got them to follow him. Same principle, just you know, you got better cooks. Yeah. So, um, there's nothing wrong with enticing. If you can get them in the door, Jesus said, cast a wide net. If you can get them in the door, Absolutely. get them in the door. Yeah. So, let's turn our attentions now to the ministerial tale, a tale that I have kind of had a front row seat to. You here. have, yes, because I made you have a front seat to it. Love it. Wouldn't have it any other mm -hmm. way. Take her away, Pastor. Well, I'll tell you what, Glenn. Th this... <sighs> 
This is a tragic tale of romance, tragedy, and murder most foul. You said you yeah. weren't going to tell that. Well, you know what? It, there is no, uh, there is uh, some romance and tragedy. There's a great book title there, Matt and the Mob. The story I mean, of Matt's. <laughs> Matt's ministerial walk. Um, no, my my ministry tale starts um, about the same a little bit. Um, in a sense that I didn't actually feel a call to ministry until I was about 28 years old. And uh, cri- uh, there was, when I was a teenager, there was a sweet little old lady who I mentioned in the last podcast. Well, my grandmother was the one who drug me to church every week and got me very involved. And this sweet little old lady, her name was Nanetta Kane, just, got God love her. I mean, she was... She had a servant's heart. We used to have these big church, like Wednesday night church service and everything. And it was basically Bible study is what it was. Um, and uh, But they would have a dinner. And she would cook the dinners. And oh my gosh. You could feel yourself growing just off the bread alone. So good. It had to be fat. Oh, yeah, oh man. She, I, I do believe her and the local dairy up in Anderson Prairie Farms... I do believe they were on a first-name basis as far as butter recipes. But um, she came up and she said, Hey, what are you going to do after high school? And I said, I don't know. Probably farm and want to go to school to become a teacher. I, I did want to become a, a history or an ag teacher. Shocking, I know. Um, but she said, Well, have you ever thought about going into ministry? I think you'd be a really good pastor or you know, a preacher. And I said, I don't know. Not really. It's not my thing. Okay, well, I'm going to keep praying that you are. Like, okay, well, way to take a hint. Mm-hmm. So, and I mentioned this in the, in, my last, in the last episode, so I'll kind of skip over the details. I got to a point where I was not going to church anymore. Um, and she brought me back, or, she, you know, she didn't bring me back, um... Every time I'd see her out and about, she would say, hey, what are, you, what are you doing nowadays? And I'd say, oh, I'm doing this or doing that, still farming and auctioneering. And she said, okay, have you still not thought about, I'm still praying that you're going to go into ministry. Like, okay, well, thank you. Um, Appreciate it. Walking away like, this, the lady literally doesn't take a hint with a darn, you know. Um, fast forward a little bit. And... Um, I had been helping in my wife's church. She was she's a, she was raised Methodist. Her mom and dad still go to Methodist. And at the time, we were going to two church services on a Sunday. I remember that. Yeah, that was looking back. That was bonkers. Uh, um, so we would go to the early service, the first service at the church I grew up in, Wilkinson Church of Christ. Started at eight thirty, finished up about nine thirty, quarter ten. And her mom and dad's church service didn't start till 10.30. So I had 45 minutes to make a five-minute drive, you know. And uh, they had the role of liturgist there. And nobody was wanting to do it. There was literally two people who wanted to do it. And they would look, you had a sign-up sheet. And I never forgot, they would put it out in January. And these people would literally sign up for, excuse me, one would sign up for November every year, 
And then the other one would sign up for Jill, no, not July. I'm in June or it was like early summer, May or June. And um, other than that, nobody else wanted to do it. Like nobody else wanted to do it. So I'm thinking, well, I mean, I can do I I can do public speaking fairly well. I mean, it's reading scriptures, opening with, um, you know, opening with prayer and all this stuff, and open leading worship and all this. I can do that. You know what? You you didn't interrupt mine, so you have to forgive me. Yeah. But, um, did you ever option there? All I, right, we're in Matthew chapter one over here, dude. Jimmy. <laughs> anyway, a little, little inside joke there um, from a very non-pastoral show, mm-hmm. but either anyway. Uh, but I mean, I'm thinking, you know, nobody else wants to do it. There's a need there. <clears throat> I'll throw my hat in the ring and help out with it. And it got to the point my wife would literally say. You know, you don't have to keep doing this. You can take give somebody else a break. And I, it got to a point, I would sign up for the month. And I would literally sign up on the last Sunday of the month. I'd literally wait all month for the next one. Nobody else signed up. I went ahead and just wrote my name down. And I told her this, and she, whatever. Oh, whatever. Okay. And... Um, because she was fearful it was going to be like a pride thing, you know, always, you know, it's feeding his ego. Oh, I'm the literalist. Well, and there, it was actually, it was proposed by a couple of the, the church ladies, one who was on the PPR committee, and they said, why don't we just make Matt the liturgist? Like, just make him the guy. I mean, he does a good job. We like him. He's here every Sunday. Now, for our non-Methodist friends, would you care to parse out PPR? Pastor Parish Relations Committee. Basically, the group of people who talk with the pastor and let him know that he's doing a good job and that we like everything that he's doing. And You're adorable. Those, that's usually <laughs> the way those meetings go, isn't it? <laughs> Every now and again. Um, but that's the group that stands between you and the congregation. Yes. Good, yes. Yeah, they're did a pretty good job. Well, you know, I was only a Methodist for a short time. We'll get into that here in a minute. Um, but, uh, so it eventually got to a point, somebody, I literally, I, I led a, a prayer that morning and a woman men- messaged me, Miss Ruth Alford, who I forgot to mention in the last episode too, as an influence. Um, Ruth Alford, she messaged me one day and she said, I truly feel that God is calling you to be, uh, being, a you know, a lay speaker or even a pastor. I still have the message. I saved it. Um, lay speaker, for those of you who don't know, in the Methodist Church, and Glenn, you might have to help me with this. A lay speaker is basically somebody who is certified to be able to go into a church and feel like if they've got the pastor who's sick or gone for a while, um, or any really it's any part of the worship team, right? Like the pastor, the song leader, or whatever, they can go in and fill that role for the week or however many weeks is needed. Um, but they're kind of like a traveling thing. Can It can be. The official lay speaker title, according to the conference, is someone from the laity, which I believe is a Greek word for them people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a country in, in Southeast Asia called Laos, which is not related to the word, but the word is similar to Laos. Yeah. It means people, basically. 
And of course, we know layman's terms, people's it's, it's, terms, yeah. is, a, is a common idiom we use. Um, so, essentially, that's a person who's just a person mm-hmm. who has signed up and been certified by a group like a DCOM, a District Committee on Ministry, to speak in an official capacity. So they basically are only certified to do the speaking job of a pastor. So they can fill in. There's even been some who have filled pulpits. Mm -hmm. And ironically enough, and this always cracks me up as a local pastor, you know, because I'm technically part-time and not ordained. But I'm expected to do everything that a pastor does, rightfully so. That's my job. Mm -hmm. A lay speaker will tell you when they walk in, I don't... Have you ever seen, um, oh, what movie was it? I think maybe Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yes. I don't do laundry. I don't do diapers. I don't do laundry. I don't do dinner. I don't do lunch. I don't do breakfast. I don't do. They will come in and tell you, I'm not doing any of these things. I will do this, and that's it. Because that happened at Fallerton one time, and I remember my parents coming home and going, can they do that? It just did. It just did. It's essentially what you'll put up with, but certified lay speaker means that person will do the speaking part of the job. Right. So you are mostly correct. The best kind of correct. But, so, I planned on going through the laity thing, and... um, I had gotten some research and everything gathered together, and then I saw, well, maybe I can become a lay pastor, lay minister, instead of just a lay speaker, which is the next rung in laity. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll do this. And I was kind of unsure, like, I don't know, can I really be a pastor? Can I do this? We're walking out of church, and the pastor at Shirley, uh, Rick uh, Hudson, and I had to think for a minute, um, still serving there, right? As of right now, uh, coming up on year five, though. So we'll uh, we'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, we uh, he came out and said, "Hey, Matt, how about in two weeks you preach a sermon for us?" Uh, okay. And at that time, it literally, Glenn, I kid you not, it. I went home that evening after I fed and everything, and started working on it. It took me those two weeks. To write that sermon, that first one. And it was the most god-awful thing I have ever written. I went, I've gone back and read it. And there's points in it that make sense. They, they're good. But my, I tried literally to cram three sermons into one. It was, I know it happens. I know, it's the first time out of the gate. Well, I, I preached this sermon, right? Well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So... I have this on the books, and then you te- either I texted you or you texted me about getting together for breakfast. And uh, we met at the one and only Waffle House. Best place on the face of the planet to if, get a bite. If you're a little too good to eat in a Huddle House, you're eating at a Waffle House. That's exactly right. If you can't... Aff- I mean, you know, just a, a quick point there for young pastors or people who have known pastors and may have thought they were stinkers. No sermon has ever worked on harder, anticipated more, and regretted more than your first sermon. <laughs> that's everybody. That's not yeah. just you. So I remember my first one was about seven minutes, and I worked on that thing hard. Oh, yeah. 
Hey, look at the clock. You're like, that's all I can muster. <laughs> I mean, this was like 40 minutes. It was long. But uh, you and I had met for, we're meeting for breakfast, and I had mentioned, said, hey, you know, I'm preaching at Shirley here in a while. He said, hey, would you mind coming in on, I think it was like June 21st or 27th. We were outside, so it was warm. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming in and preaching, because uh, I'm going to take off that, that Sunday. I'm going on vacation. I'm like, sure, I guess. And uh, so it comes time for me to preach at Shirley. I preach my sermon. And literally that following Tuesday, the governor of our great state comes out and says, everybody needs to stay home for two weeks. Like, well, I literally, the first time in the pulpit, in the capacity of the pastor, and I shut the state down. Awesome. You go, boy. And um, I know I still had you on the books. And they had canceled, like, it was just getting crazy. It was right at COVID, like, the shutdowns just started. You guys had converted to going to the outside service, which, kudos to you for create, for thinking just that. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'll go give the sermon. Well, it turns out you had to cancel your vacation. Um, you guys were going to go down to Brown County instead. You were going to go out wet. You're going to go to California, I think, or we were going to go to California. We ended up in Vincennes, enjoying the finer points of the Hoosier State. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but uh, so you were actually that actually able to be there and listen to the sermon. I'm thinking I was. I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah. Hopefully, I don't wreck it too bad. I go up and give the sermon, and I'll never forget you come up and said, there's something there, bud. Absolutely there was. And I said, well, I don't know. Maybe can we meet and kind of talk about it a little bit? And he said, you said, yep, meet me at the church whenever you can. And luckily it worked out because everything was shut down. So you and I were, the school wasn't open, so we weren't working or anything. We were meeting here, and I'll never forget, we would meet the first time, first couple times was like a half hour then it got to an hour. Then we started meeting in the evening. And it was a couple hours. And then it eventually became, okay, it's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock sometimes. <laughs> but, I mean, in that in that time frame, I mean, in the shutdown, people talk about the, the blessings that came out of it. And I would say that's kind of where my the, the call to ministry really have flourished. You know, I, I would think, I'd be driving or I'd be doing things and I'd think of things that would be awesome sermon topics. I'm like, well, if we ever open back up, I'd be glad to give one, you know. And I'm still trying to pursue this. I'm thinking at the first of it, I'm thinking, I need to do the lady thing. I need to do this. I need to do that. And it came to a point where you and I, you asked me, you said, you know, we were talking about how I felt after I gave that, that, that the sermon here. And I said, I, there was a feeling there. It took me literally, it took me a week to write it, shorten my time up a little bit. And I legit felt great doing it. I mean, I that was a feeling I had never felt before. And said, well, I think you're kind of growing out of the laity thing, and I think you're looking more at being a local licensed pastor kind of deal. 
All right, so I started the process. Sent emails out to uh, the Central District Superintendent and uh, the Eastern Super uh, Eastern District Superintendent, um, Elise Fulbright and Russ Abel, and uh, respectively, and they had me send a call to ministry. Russ ended up because he had he had an opening for uh, for a spot. And uh, had a meeting with him, kind of found out a bit about my background and all this stuff, and um, kind of you know talked to me and found you know said, hey, I think I think you got a pretty good spot. I think I got a pretty good idea where I can put you. Literally, it was I don't know maybe a week, two weeks later, he calls me and says, hey, would you be willing to meet with the um, this pastor at the church? Um, and, because uh, they've got a, a position open for an associate pastor. And I said, yeah, sure. I get, you know, no harm, no foul. I meet with him. And uh, <laughs> I'm nervous through the whole thing. We meet at a coffee shop. Um, and I down a tall Americano because I'm nervous. And I go up and get another tall, Americ- tall, you know, Americano, and down it as well, um, <clears throat> and get to a point where you know we're talking about everything, and they said, "I think you'll be a good fit," and all this, and then they say, "Can you come? When can you come?" And I said, "Can you wait a little bit until I can say goodbye to my home church and all this stuff." And get my crops in a little bit. Yeah, sure, that's fine. So I go through all this. I get in. And almost immediately, it was not a good fit. It was not a, it was not a church that, it was not a ministry that I was, I felt was going to work. And it was no fault of the congregation, mm-hmm. it was it was no fault of them. Everybody I met up there, everybody that I interacted with, I have people that still text me and call me on for, on occasion. I haven't worked there in coming up on a year in May, and they literally will still text me and say, "Hey, want to?" I had uh, lunch with a couple of them uh, around Christmas time just to check in, and. Uh, Still friends on Facebook. We talk and everything. I mean, awesome, awesome people. And, um, but it's just, you know, the, me and, I'll be honest, me and the senior pastor did not see eye to eye. It was an ideological issues. It was cultural issues. It was, as much as I hate bringing politics into the pulpit, that was the driving force for, you know, there you know, we hear, and I'm not trying to pick on the Methodist uh, church at all, but at times the, the there's certain groups of the Methodists, uh, the Methodist church, that can be a little more <laughs> left leaning, and <coughs> and uh, she knew that I was not. She, you get in. I mean, you walk up and you talk to me. You look at me. You see what I drive. You can probably tell who I voted for. It's not that hard to figure out. Just part of it. And 
we uh, we just didn't clash. And it came to a point where, you know, every we would have a meeting on Monday. We'd have a staff meeting. We'd have a meeting we called Sharing Care, which you know, we gather together to talk about the people who are on the prayer list, updates, things like that. And then the head pastor and I would have a meeting one-on-one, which immediately I didn't like because nobody else was involved with it. And if anything was said or anything, it could potentially be misconstrued. If anything yeah. were, you know, you know, it just was not a good scenario. And... I never heard a kind word about anything that I did in that ministry. I, I was, never saw one on a report. I, 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 I. Did you ever? Did you ever read it? Did you ever see any of the reports? You gave me some reports. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matt's not embellishing any of this. I, I, I'm trying to kind of keep it. You know, you're 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 being very kind. I I or just you certainly don't have to. I know I understand, but I it's not. I'm trying to be the bigger person here. I I would say you've done a pretty good job of that, baby. Uh, we have a saying in the world amongst professionals, people in the know, smart marks, <laughs> as Jim Cornette would call us. Um, you give people enough rope, you know what they'll do with it. Exactly. But uh, I, I just, you know, I never heard a kind word. I was literally dogged every turn. When I went there, I was asked, can you help out with the youth ministry? Can you help out with a few other odds and ends? And, you know, and then we'll also kind of work together and, you know, kind of get you trained and mentored and everything uh, for your local li- your license to, to get your license to preach. I said, sure, yeah, that sounds great. This was at the interview. Literally, day one, the youth ministry is dumped into my lap, which I ended up having a blast doing anyhow. I mean, great group of kids, great parents. You know, loved every aspect of them. Still do. Um, And... uh, But that got dumped in my lap. Confirmation, which I had never done before. My wife went through it, but that was like 15, 18 years ago when she went through it. Um, Confirmation is becoming a member of the church yourself. Yes. I'm sorry. I should, I'm saying all no, these things. Right. I'm, yeah. picking, I'm picking up the acronyms and you know the inside terms some pronouns pal there we go see that he's my you're my there's a reason why you're my guy friday you know it's only because i've been around longer well true uh but um it got dumped in my lap and like i say i'd never done it before so i was literally having to spend the week before studying the material so i could present it on sunday over zoom and we get it all done you know, we go through I all that. you did a fairly admirable job for not really knowing what you've gotten into. So I mean, kudos. They all got confirmed. You you deserve to hear that. Kudos. Thank you. You were handed an impossible situation. I appreciate that. I, I, I just, I mean, there were, at, like I said, there were aspects. I had fun at that at working at that church. Uh, at times. Well, we, we had discussed it, and, and I remember telling you 
you know, make it what you want. Yeah. Have fun with it. And, and to your credit, you did. I, until, until I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the point I'm coming to uh, here in a minute. Um, I literally tried to reach out to everybody I could think of. I reached out. I mean, I talked with Hughes a lot uh, to try and navigate this thing. I reached out to leadership. I reached out to members on the board. I, you know, and it was agreed that, yeah, there were some issues with this head pastor. Ones that they had, they knew about. Ones that they didn't quite realize yet. And what I got told was, oh, it'll, we'll handle it. We'll, it'll be dealt with. I went there basically the beginning of November and lasted until the day, the Monday after Mother's Day. Let me tell you something about Mother's Day for me. Mother's Day is a day that is bittersweet a little bit. I, as I've mentioned on here, I lost my mom in 2018. So I, lo- I lost the person that I got to say Happy Mother's Day to, I thought. We found out about seven weeks later that Christy was pregnant. Um, so Mother's Day is, all I can say, it's always been bittersweet. I get to celebrate it with my wife now, who is a beautiful, wonderful just awesome mom, really is. Doesn't she doesn't get enough credit? Um, but I was in charge of giving the children's messages and church in the sermon in the middle of the service. We picked that back up, and um, I every I would give them on Sunday, on Monday, drug through the mud. And all these things I need to do. All these things that I need to work on and change. And it kind of became a point, and it was stated a few times, that you know, if you do what I ask you to do, you will get on through. If you don't do what I ask you to do, you will not go any further. Pretty much threatening me, saying, you know, I need to toe the line or, you know, get the heck out, you know? There, there was a level of that from a few different folks, which I'm personally not going to forget. There, Believe me. When I say I reached out to leadership, I went up the ladder on leadership. And believe me, it will come around one day. I, I you know, at, at this point, I, it, it is what it is. I mean, I, I hate to be blasé about it, but... <laughs> It got to it was the Monday after Mother's Day, and she and I we didn't have to work that day. We didn't have to go to school that day, which I had forgot. So I'm on my way to work on the way to the way to, to work at the church office, and Christy calls me and said, and I talked to her, and I said, I know I'm getting ready to go get chewed out. I know it. And my wife said, in in a moment of clarity, she said, Honey, if it's that if you're that miserable, which I was, you remember, I was I was miserable. I was literally limping to the barn through Monday. Tuesday and Wednesdays weren't bad because that the pastor was not in the office. Because, you know, she had to work, he or she had to work from home. 
and uh, whatever. I was in the office more than they were, but that's beside the point. Um, anyhow, she said, my wife said, honey, if you're miserable, just quit because you can do ministry other places. Churches are looking for pastors. I know they are. You can find somewhere else to do it. And I said, well, okay. And I'll never forget, I got text messages from her throughout the whole thing saying, honey, are you okay? You can do my, I mean, she texted me again and said, there are other places to do ministry. I am okay with you leaving. Okay. So, we're in the meeting, and she's talking to me and everything, and I don't even care anymore. Uh, the pastor's talking to me, and they said, uh, you know, I, I told you what I didn't want you to do, and you went ahead and did it, and that was kind of disrespectful. And I said, you know what? I think I'm done here. What do you mean you're done? I said, you have literally, and I unloaded. I, I did. I, I, I said, I'm done. This is it. Like, you have literally not liked one aspect of anything that I have done here. And anything that I have done here that's received accolade from any part of the church congregation, you have literally poked holes in. And I've heard it from other people because they have asked me questions like, hey, what was going on with this? Is everything going all right with that? And I'd say, yeah, it's fine. Why? Oh, we just heard through the grapevine that... So needless to say, I was being talked at behind my back, which I didn't, I don't really appreciate, but it is what it is. And I was being drugged through the mud, and my character was being attacked, which I don't really, I don't take very lightly at all. No. Your name is your name, and I know you take that name very seriously. And I... And I walked out of her, my I walked out of the office and I and I started packing my stuff up because I literally thought you know this is gonna be it I'm done I'm I'm grabbing all my crap putting it in my bag and the pastor walks through the door and closes it behind her. Well, I've got one of them old like latches you know where it you know you close it and it automatically snaps into the deadbolt kind of deal you know. You have to turn the latch and push a button to lock it so it stays open. And I turned around and I said, "No, no, open the door. This is the way it's going to be. Nope. If you're going to come in, talk. If you're going to come in here, you're going to open the door." She she said, "Matt, I'm trying. Oh well, I'll get it here in a minute." So I literally got up uh, out of my chair, walked, stormed over, opened the door for for the for them, and I packed my stuff up. And they said, "I need more than five minutes." To talk to you. I need a longer meeting. And I said, you've got five minutes more. And she said, well, I, I need more time. And I, was like, and I looked at my phone and my watch, and I said, you're down to four minutes and 55 seconds, so I get stepping. And she starts poking a little bit, and I unload again. I literally lay it all out, and I said, look, I've tried to tell you, I don't know how many times I've reached out trying to rectify this problem. You don't want to have any of it. You know, I, I lay out all this stuff and I call her out on, call him out on, you know, being at the office more and knowing about what's going on in the church more than they do and all these things. And 
I said, the point of the matter is, you and I are never going to work. This is just, that's just the way it is. And I'm never going to do ministry the way that you want me to do. And to be honest, the way that you want me to do ministry doesn't really line up with how I've been taught and what God has called me to be. So I think I'm done. I grabbed my bag, put it on my shoulder, and she said, and the pastor said, can we begin again? And I said some real Clint Eastwood sounding stuff right here. I said, this ain't Monopoly. You can't just pass, pass go and collect another $200. And I walked out of the door. Ooh. Oh. I mean, if Clint had been standing there, he'd have been like, yeah, I dig it. I mean, you know, that's when he would have took his cigar out of his mouth and been like, yeah, yeah, I like it, I like it. So I leave, I go have lunch with a good friend of mine, Mark Stacy, who I literally, that this was a God thing, I was literally turning into a gas station to grab a can of chew, and... Uh, you know, I actually have, have the other point of side of this, the other point of view on this, if you're interested. I, I'm curious, yeah. So, um, a royal family this year, uh, I saw Mark Stacy. And um, I we got to men talking a little bit about what happened. Of course, he's in Newcastle. He's been a police officer in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. He knows the deal. And he said, boy, I heard, I heard some nasty things. And I said, well, they're all probably true. And he said that he, it, he also said it was a God thing. He said he saw you come out of that church. You turned into the gas station. He said you were vibrating, just mm -hmm. shaking. And he said, I need to go talk to him. And so that, that was was a God thing. Absolutely. All directions that, uh, you know, you you had that moment, but then God was right there. Like, I, I, I got hey, hang on, hang on here. Let's not get hasty. And I, but he and I go have lunch. We talk it out. And I felt, I mean, I, I, was, I, mean, I was pretty worked up, but I was at peace with it. And I called Christy, and she talked me talked to me for a good 20, 30 minutes and talked me down, said, I'm proud of you. I've lo I love the way that you want to do ministry. I love the way that you want Lorraine to see you do ministry um, because eventually she's going to be a member of it. Well, she is a member of it now as a congregation member. But said, it's okay. We'll, we'll make it work. And I took Tuesday off, came back in Wednesday, cleaned out my office. The, the lovely secretary and the maintenance, supervisor, the maintenance guy there, we had lunch together as a farewell. Um, gave my last children's message. And you want to know the funny thing? I literally, I, I was sitting there in the, in the pews. Christy didn't go with me that day. I, she asked me if I wanted her to, and I said no. So you guys go on to, uh, you guys go on to Shirley with your mom and dad. This is a thing. This is my thing. I'm gonna handle it. And so, I'm sitting there, and the head of the board comes up to me, and I'm think I think he's gonna say, "Matt, are you sure about this? You know all of this." Nope. I was asked. Okay. Hey, Matt. Uh, real quick, I need your keys and I need your credit card, please. No love lost there. 
So I said, I wow. need, we were going to have youth group that night. And I said, hey, I need to keep my keys and card until tonight. Um, we're going to have a little ice cream party as it go, going away for me. And, uh, okay, yeah, I just leave them in the secretary's desk. That's fine. Walked away. It was literally the head of the board and the pastor standing right there. I'm sitting down. They're standing over me. Like, well, I think I made the right decision here. The kids were upset. I, it broke oh, it, it broke my heart to leave them kids. Because I had come to know them. They had come to know me. Great kids. Great families. Um, hilarious. I mean, just awesome times. And they still reach out. Those Some of those kids do. The older ones do. And I got text messages from the parents that week saying... You know, we're disappointed that this is happening and all this. And I laid it out and I said, how much of this story do you know? Well, just what, pa you know, the pastors told us. I said, let me tell you a thing. And I laid it all out. Again, I, I cut, I'm getting ready to cut ties. I don't care. And they said, yeah, we get it. Yeah, that that's understandable. So we have our party. The next Monday, that very next morning, um, I get a text message from the ladies at, at the church um, all had Bible study every other Monday, or every Monday. And I get a text message saying, hey, would you be all right with me passing your number along to a, a church over in Strong? They're uh, in need of a new pastor. Um they're looking for a new pastor, and they need somebody to fill in for a couple weeks. And I'm thinking, well, I can at least help them out for a little bit. And in my heart, my back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, dear my, that would be a nice job. So I get in touch. They give me my number. Within about 15 minutes, I get a call from the head of the board at Strawn, Mr. Daryl Stevens. I'll give him a nice little shout-out. Um, talks to me a little bit. And... They and they set up a couple times for me to, to come preach and also an opportunity for them to for me to meet them for lunch and have dinner and had kind of talk over some aspects of asking quite they can ask me questions and all this. And uh, okay, we set all that up, and then literally like two days later, I get a call from a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Gene Sewell, who's on the board over there. Also, he was actually a lay minister who I got to know very well, got to be very good friends with, and I'm still good friends with, him and his lovely wife, Jo. Um, she, uh, and he reached out and said, Hey, uh, Liberty and Gas City, not Gas City, Fountain Town, uh -huh. well, same thing, uh, said, Hey, their pastor's kind of having some issues right now. Would you mind preaching the next three weeks there for me? Just a side note. Yeah. Pastor Matt Heath's uh, comments and remarks on Gas City do not necessarily reflect <laughs> the views of Pastor Glenn Davis or other members of the Two Guys Out of the Way Pastors team. Um, my niece Madison is a river rat there. Okay. You better watch uh, Okay. Well, all right. I'll, 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 I'll be nice. I'll be nice. But said, can you preach next, you know, a couple Sundays there? So I literally, that entire summer, 
I was only not in the pulpit maybe twice, I think. Um, and the majority of the time, like literally the entire month of June, I was at Liberty and Fountaintown. July was majority at Strawn. And then it got into August, and I had a week or so off. And uh, I'll never forget the one of the weeks we had off. I had mentioned they said, "Would you?" The first after the first time I preached there, they said, "Would you be interested in having the job?" Because we're kind of looking for a guy, and we ain't had any luck. And I said, "Well, maybe." So I should. I'm getting ahead of myself. The week before I preached there, Christy and I go and visit. And instantly, we feel welcome. We feel like it's home. The people there have been nothing but welcoming. They treated us like family, which was an, an insane thing that, you know, coming from where I'd come from in my first ministerial experience. And after a long, arduous journey, I, I get a call saying, hey, I want you to meet with the board and talk about all these aspects of the ministry here and everything. I agreed. agreed to it. And in August, I will be a year into Strong Community Chapel's senior pastor. And there has not been one moment there that I have not felt, I have not felt the presence of God. And everything that I have done, even either at in the pulpit, at home working on it, when I talk to people about it, God is literally at work in all of that. And the people there are they're actively trying to grow and trying to build back after COVID. And I'm excited on the journey for him. We got a few things coming up at our next board meeting that I'm excited for. Um, looking forward to trying and introducing. Hopefully they're received fairly well. I don't know. It's my first time trying to do something like this, but I mean, and you may be asking, well, "Where's your ministerial training and everything?" I don't don't really have any. It's hard knock life for us. Pretty much. I mean. I was originally going to go through the ministerial process through the Methodist Church, and when I left there, I I cut you know I said you know what I don't think I don't think the Methodist Church necessarily wants me. They're lost. I, I truly, truly, they're lost. And what was funny was I got uh, I got an email. Now, you remember this email. I do remember the email. And um, as a representative of the district committee on ministry in the central district, not the eastern district, which is where your letter came mm -hmm. from, um, and from the central district, um, it made me sick to my stomach. Um, I was embarrassed to call myself a United Methodist after reading that and knowing that other people besides you have gotten that letter. And um, I think that they should be ashamed. I mean, I just say I hold no ill will or ill or ill feelings or anything. Well, I hold a little bit for one person, but that's beside the point. Uh, um, but I mean, 
I was, they were mad because it was said, well, can we all sit down and talk about this before you just cut everything out? I was done. Because I had tried to reach out not more than two, three months before that with all these aspects, and all I got was, oh, we're going to keep you there because I think we think you can learn a lot from the pastor. All right. Learning, cool. Learning I don't want to be a mother. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know... Like I say, people ask, what's your, what's your certification and everything? I'm going to be honest with you. When I was, oh, 19, I was screwing around on the internet one night. And ironically, this is no lie, the episodes of Simpsons comes on where they legalize gay marriage in Springfield. And Homer gets online and becomes an ordained minister. Printed out collar and all. I didn't get the printed out collar, but Unitarian Church. Yeah, uh, I don't wear collars in Unitarian Church. Come on. But uh, silly. My it is through the Universal Life Church is my or, through my ordination is through. I checked with the state of Indiana. They it's officially it is recognized. So it allows me, and I dug some deep. I dug deeper. I'm thinking, do I? What am I allowed to do? And. It grants me, granted, the church I'm at is non-denominational. So, you know, it's kind of fast and loose with a few things. Um, not to say that that's bad or anything, that's just the way it is. Um, but we, um, you know, I asked, I said, is that going to be okay? And they said, yeah, that's fine. I checked, make sure I was okay to do weddings, funerals. Give the you know give communion, all preach and all these things, and yes, I'm I'm okay on all that. But it has been mentioned like, hey, have you ever thought about going back to college for seminary or anything? You know, if you want to, no rush. Well, you know what happens when people say no rush? Why don't you do something? Why don't you hurry up? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and get that done? So. But so that's on the horizon for me, and that's kind of been, that's been my ministerial walk in this whole thing. Um, I'll, I'll I'll tell you the honest truth. We talked about this a little bit, and um, this this is something I if you if you've gotten this far with us, I want you I want you to hear this because um, it's it's hard for me to to realize sometimes what it is what it is. Um, I've come to a place where. I'm kind of the guy at this point, and um, that comes from a lot of investment from a lot of people. Um, at first, I thought you should have went to the meeting. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. We did. And um, if nothing else, just to say that you did, mm-hmm. and that way you came out looking like the shiny one because you went and listened and... It didn't get resolved. You tried. Yeah. But there was another part of me that really felt, and I think I shared this with you too, that clearly God was trying to tell you something. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. But clearly there was something there and maybe you shouldn't go. And when the letter was sent to you, I thought immediately... Methodism is probably not what you're meant to do. And that hurt on a level because 
I thought, well, why would God have brought you that far? And some of the things that, that um, you you de- you were starting to deal with at Strawn and starting to see the real ministerial life. Um, comments like you just said, like, there's not been a moment I haven't felt God's presence. I think you will find 10, 20 years from now, when you and I are sitting down with some young, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed up-and-comer, you will look back on those moments at Newcastle and say, there was a reason for every single one of them. Absolutely, yeah. um, You know, some things aren't meant to be, and we would rather them not be if that's the case. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I thought you were mature through that process and treated unfairly, but, uh, yeah, they crucified Jesus, so I mean, uh, you got to be able to dig in. And <laughs> well, and I mean, like you say, I, I tried, like, I had people who, who raised an eyebrow when I said I was going to become a Methodist minister. And when I came, when it, and I'll be honest, I was in, like, it's kind of that moment of clarity. Like, the last Sunday I was there, that Monday morning, I'm like, oh, this is kind of embarrassing. I mean, I may, I, you know, everybody made a huge deal about me going to ministry, and they're excited for me, and I couldn't even hack it a year, you know? And... Then I have that moment, and then literally I start getting phone calls about, hey, Strong's looking for a new head pastor. You think you could help out, you know, and fill in for a couple weeks? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and then I, I get my summer schedule lined up of preaching and all these things, and it, like I say, every aspect of it has been, it's like as soon as, literally as soon as I walked out of there, and cut ties, and that was the reason why I didn't go to the meeting. In my heart, I I mentioned it to Christy, and she agreed with me because I had mentioned the meeting. And um, when I told him I was not going to have, when I, I literally told him I was not going to go to the meeting. I literally had offers pouring in everywhere to get me in a pulpit somewhere. I truly believe that God was is trying to work, and he I, he may have been saying, yeah, you know, excuse me. This isn't necessarily you're going to be your cup of tea. It's just not. Meth, you know, Methodism is not maybe your foray, but you had to start somewhere, and that was the easiest way I could get you in the door. And it gave me some experience. It gave me some clout. Allowed me to make some connections because the lady, the ladies that I was, I got to know very well and would tease and all these old ladies and everything, you know, sweet ladies. Um, they were the ones who stuck up for me. Mm-hmm. I'd had a chance to preach it at Newcastle three times or maybe twice, and of course the children's message and all this stuff. And the people, this was before all the people. And I, I, I say this not to toot my own horn or anything, but I had somebody actually mention to me and say, 
you know, I got more out of the kids' message than I did the actual message. Like, well, God works in mysterious ways, I guess, you know. Um, but, so I started kind of putting more effort into it and trying to say, you know, because it kind of spoke to me like, okay, maybe that person, maybe they're learning, they, maybe they can get a message out of something that isn't intended for them, but yet they're getting something out of it. At least they're getting some form of a message. Two-prong approach, you know? Um, and I, you know, I'll, like I say, I don't know if it's jealousy or what, but I would stand there and talk to people, and the pastor would literally call me out of that to come say some, you know, bullcrap thing or something. Hey, can you move this chair or something like that? Just literally because... I could try to have, I could actually connect with the folks and talk with them, and sh they didn't want to. The pastor didn't want to. I mean, that's just the only short of it. You know, I, I, I see a lot of similarities. And, um, you know, when my knee was finally gone, and I got that call to ministry, and I didn't care about football anymore mm -hmm. and started pursuing call to ministry you know I see a lot of that in yours it wasn't physical harm but you know Jacob limped after an encounter with God and, and sometimes you come away I would say every time you meet the real God you come away different and yes Newcastle was a chore for, for both of us and our families it was a chore mm -hmm. it was hard for several people around you um, to watch it, to hear the things that were going, knowing that these things were true. Um, because a lot of people, I don't think, would have believed that these things were going on. And the moment that you got out of there, every finger pointed to Strong. And it's like you, you took it on the chin, you looked up, and God said, hey, I got your attention this way. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it takes that. It's, uh, I I know it says in scripture that he will never give us more than we can handle. But I have it, scriptural evidence for that now. Well, a lot of people tell you it's not in there. It's in there. I, let me tell you something. If that was not more than I could handle, I'd hate to see what I can't handle. Well, the scripture actually says, and I have it written down over there, but uh, the scripture actually says... God will absolutely give you more than you can handle, but he will open up a door for you to walk out of it. There will always be an opportunity. Oh, man. That kind of, that kind of messes my sermon up a little bit this morning. And what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I just always remember that, because uh, this went along with what I said, that um, God will absolutely give you more than, handle, more than you can handle. Maybe more than you think you can handle. Because he's got to stretch you. And um, the um, sudden rumblings and, and um, possible faint voices off in the distance means that our ghost is telling us it's time to go home. So, um, no, it's... If I, if I could say anything coming out of this... You know, mentoring some pastors and, and not just mentoring but being a friend to you and, and walking through that nonsense um, 
it's to always remember that God never promised it'd be easy. If you really look in Scripture, the great heroes of Scripture, he wasn't. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we have to find our weakness to see how strong he really is. So, um, you know, take to heart that we're both still in ministry. We are. And I don't know on this platform that I will ever, it might take a while, that I will ever tell some of my horror stories because um, I wasn't dealing with clergy. I don't even know how much I was dealing with congregants on some of those. It, it was me and the enemy face to face. Mm -hmm. and, but everything I've done in my adult life has been through that filter of ministry and Despite myself, some of the things I've seen God do through that ministry, you know, sometimes you just have to accept. Like I said, it's kind of our going away theme here. If God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Absolutely. And there's not a thing you can do to stop it. Not really. I mean, it was, like I say, I... And there are moments that there are times, you know, I still kind of have flashes of, you know, negativity from it, you know. And I, I hate uh, to do this to you, but yeah. they're, they're always going to be there. I know there is. I know there are. But it's it's to a like, this pastor would say the phrase, because it was always a constant talking down to me. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? No. That, that phrase right there, <laughs> I should no. say. And I, 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 I mean, just every time she, uh, they would say something, I'm like, you know, I've tried really hard not to release who the pastor was or anything or any aspect about it. But you know, you would have went from um, Clint Eastwood to Ronald Reagan level if you'd have stopped on the way out that last time, turned around, and said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to ask. Does that make sense?" You know, I was just glad I cracked off that round. <laughs> well, as mad, uh, as mad as I've heard on good authority you were, I guess you got to be proud of getting out of there without, yeah. without messing up the joints. So. Oh, I, well, like I say, I have no ill will against any of the people there or the church itself, but I do have, I do have a loss of respect for two folks, two people. And you know who those two people are. I'd have to say I've also gone through. And I just, and, and that light, I'm just like, you know what? If that's the case, if that's the way you guys want to handle it, there are plenty of other people. And what's ironic is, uh, as we close, the person who's the pastor at Newcastle is now the pastor at, um, well. CC. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um. Literally right down the road from Sean. So, they're a my place, neighbor. A place I hold so dear in my heart. Uh, <laughs> That's a story for another night. That is a story for another night. On a related note that no one, no one will understand except you and me, God bless Jenna Smith. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, That's a story for another night. It so. is, but well, I, well, I... Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, that's... 
that is my ministerial story. I know mine's a little bit longer than Glenn's, um, but I had a lot happen inside of a year and a half, almost two years in ministry. Absolutely. And it takes a little bit of time to tell that story in its full respect. Um, yeah, I like I say, I... And I truly believe that I'm that my ministry is trying is starting to be blessed there because I'm starting to come up with an, an approach ideas about how to grow the ministry there, about how to implement, you know, new ideas for ministry. And from what I've suggested just to a handful of people, I do believe these are things that are going to be met with success. They're going to be met with open arms. Not of all all at once, I grant it. But they are things that are going to uh, build excitement. And when it's, I'll tell you, and you know this more than I do, when a congregation can get excited about an idea, that's when you've got fire. You got fire. So, well, go ahead, Glenn. I can go ahead and. Well, let's get ready to sign off here. Yeah. And um, we do want to. Uh, Mind everyone, you're always welcome. Willow Branch United Methodist Church, Strong Community Chapel. Regardless of how you feel about life, regardless of how you feel about people of the same or opposite sex, regardless of how you feel about God, we want to meet you where you're at, and we want to love you where you're at. So always know you're welcome, and we mean it sincerely. Mm-hmm. We will make you feel welcome if you give us a chance. If you're not, and this is where you want to be, that's fine too. Uh, but um, we'll sign off with the Lord bless and keep all of you till we speak again. It's going to be a couple weeks for us mm-hmm. um, with Lindy coming in next week and some other things going on. Um, so good night, Lindy and Kesson, for now. Lindy will be here on uh, Saturday, so we're excited about that. I might get to go see Kesson's play in May, so uh, that's also exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, staying involved with, with my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so good night, Lindy and Kessa down on the West Coast, and good morning, Vladivostok, where despite two weeks passing, I don't think I'll feel any different, Vladimir Putin can kiss my grits. Good night, everybody. <laughs> night, everybody. Thanks for listening.